Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where Christian fruits meet religious nuts face to face. And I'm your host, Sean McCraney. Our program tonight is a preface to all we are going to pursue for the rest of the year or until the Lord says stop. Let me try and explain. When we started in television ministry back 2006, we were hitting Mormonism, of course, and how it related to biblical Christianity. That ministry is out there, alive and well, continues to thrive on the internet, and daily we receive emails from people all over the world who are being affected by what we did then. We have since watched thousands come out uh, as a result, praise God, all Him, but we are now on the receiving end of a new wave that are part of those thousands that came out. People who have left Mormonism, they've joined up with quote-unquote Christian churches and have now discovered that all is not well in their newfound religious homes, either because of culture or uh, pastoral demands or doctrinal stuff, yada, 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 you know? I was reminded recently by a friend here at campus that the message we have always maintained in the ministry, and especially to the LDS, is that there is a direct relationship available to anyone who wants it with the Lord Jesus Christ, and that this relationship thrives and exists outside of the walls of material church and is available without the interventions of men or women. There's no intermediaries in between you and God. The relationship is yours to take and to have. Go to him. So we have maintained this stance from day one, and we stand by it even more today. Instead of seeing church as an objective religious model, you know, where church is in the power and church has the authority and is the director over the congregates, we strongly suggest that those days are quickly passing, completed with the apostolic church, sealed with the return of the Lord in 70 AD, and as the weeks continue, we will prove this with the Bible. And I promise you, if you hang with us for the next three or four weeks and you listen to our biblical exegesis of what it is saying, you will have to conclude that Jesus returned in 70 AD. Now, will he return again? That is up to debate and things like that. But did he return in 70 AD? I think we can prove that. And I stand on that as readily as I stand on any other tenet of the Christian faith. So instead of playing church today, you know, with its uh, governing boards and its senior pastors and its tithes and offerings and building budgets and disciplinary councils, we take seriously what the Bible says about how God now writes his laws upon the hearts and minds of believers, uh, thus making Christianity entirely subjective, an entirely subjective experience. Now, if this is the case, there is need presently, in my opinion, for a deconstruction of Christian institutions, and certainly not any more uh, construction or reconstruction of any more physically. One of the key factors that needs to be present in this approach is to decide from what the Bible says, if Jesus has returned to earth since ascending or not. If we are truly still waiting 
for Jesus' return to take his bride, to take his church, I can see the need for church on an institutional level continuing and real value in all that has been attempted by Christian churches since, since 70 AD. However, if he has already returned for his church and he is truly not going to come back again physically for believers in the physical sense, there is a whole new light that needs to be cast on the Christian world. A light that, like the sun beaming down over ice, will serve to melt the institutions down to what they should have been from the beginning, places where people go to refresh their faith and their hope and to practice love and to drop everything else. Now, I know I said that we are going to get to the second coming this week, but I need 30 more minutes before we launch into this four-part presentation of Christ's coming. And so after the prayer, we're going to begin with a warning, all right? So uh, let me just step off that for a second. We've told you about the conference we're trying to put together for February of next year. We're calling it Sunday's Best. Take a look. We're still looking for speakers uh, in the area of Calvinism, Arminianism, open theism, and the like. We've, we're working with uh, Catholicism, Mormonism, pretty much been penciled in. Uh, if you have anybody who you know who is a reputable presenter, have them contact us at the information that pops up on your screen. I recently had a conversation with a local pastor here in Salt Lake City about the conference, and his reaction was, it's really not my thing. I'm more into kingdom building, is what he said. And uh, I had to ask myself, he was speaking of his own kingdom. I said it in my mind. But again, this is not a time for debate. We are, this is not for every presenter to attack each other or for people in the audience to. It's merely a time for people to come forward who have a reputation in that faith stance and to openly and unobstructedly present their stance on faith to all that will hear. And I can't personally think of many things that will do more to build the kingdom than that, but maybe that's just me. More and more people are hooking up with uh, our In His Word CDs, created especially for seekers as uh, a tool. You see, these CDs are really wholly innocuous. You can give them to a friend. You can say, I uh, am enjoying this music, and the friend can be a Latter-day Saint or can be even a non-believer, and it's, you just hand it to them, and they put it in, and what they're hearing is the Word of God put to music, and so not only will the Word of God be going into their ears and their heart, we know that the Word doesn't return void. So we think it's a great tool to break down barriers and let the Word of God do the speaking, and, and so... Uh, uh, nothing anti-Mormon in them or anti-anything else. It's just the words set to music 
uh, and it's music that's fitted perfectly for using all the verbiage of, of, of the Word of God and fitting it into a song. It's not an easy process, but... Uh, so take a look and imagine your non-Christian friends listening to the Word through this outstanding uh, medium choice. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, Go to www.hotm.tv or type in Mallory McCraney at iTunes to get In His Word CDs one through four. And with that, how about a moment from the Word? And I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse. I am convinced in the face of all my intellectual and emotional and spiritual limitations that the church as we know it here in the United States of America is on the decline. I maintain this opinion in the face of a number of factors. First, I think that the model popular Christian churches have embraced in a large way are not sustainable. Um, I think that the shows are too big and the word too lacking and the demands of the pastorate upon the people in this day and age who are seeking liberty in Christ are becoming too burdensome or maybe too licentious. So I also think that the church's involvement with politics and some of their stances against social ills like homosexuality and abortion and the like will ultimately either lead to them caving in to societal pressure as a means to remain viable financially, or they will refuse to cave in and they'll wind up becoming a bastion for very unstable souls and then run the risk of, of being shut down by our very uh, uh, liberal government in the end, you know. So 
I also think that what is written in Amos uh, chapter 8, verse 11 and 12 says a lot. And I think it applies to us today. As God said, behold, the days come, says the, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for the water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea, and from the north even to the east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, and shall not find it. This will contribute to the demise of institutional religion as well, as uh, congregates become weak because they aren't being fed the word. Finally, I think the congregations, um, actually I think the generations that are coming are pretty darn smart. The younger kids. They see through a lot of malarkey that comes over the pulpit, pulpit and they're not going to accept cheap rhetoric anymore. And they're not going to cave in to their pastor's demands. And so in the face of these things and more, I again believe that the church's days as we know them, just as we know them, not believers, but institutionalized churches in America are numbered. Um, except for the fittest, and it is kind of a survival of the fittest, and the biggest and largest and strongest, maybe like the LDS, uh, will continue. So in preparation and anticipation for this rollout across the land, uh, that I think will happen someday, I sincerely believe a better way must be offered as a means um, to keep people spiritually fed and connected with other believers who too someday will tire of religion and, I really, uh, and, and they really want a subjective relationship with God, not one that's demanded from the top and put down upon them. And I think this better way is fully present in the Bible. I'm not saying that we need to come up with anything extra biblical. It's all right there. Let's just take it and, and, and kind of follow along with what it says. For example, the Bible provides us with some principles that will help facilitate um, this ultimate demise of religious institutions in America today. Jeremiah 1, chapter 10 says, See, I have this day set over thee the nations and over the kingdoms, to root out and to pull down and to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. Now, intrinsic to this passage, there's an order there. God begins with root out, pull down, destroy, throw down, and then build and plant. There is a two to one ratio of deconstruction to construction in that passage. In the Old Testament, these steps were physically applied and they served to overcome aggressive nations, false prophets, false teachings and doctrines. I would strongly suggest that a physical approach to this, rooting out, pulling down, destroying, throwing, is absolutely anathema to Christians today. We do not go after things in the physical sense. Second Corinthians 10.3.5 gives us a better idea of how to approach things. It says, for though we walk in the flesh physically, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. It's very spiritual. He says it's not uh, flesh to there. 1 Corinthians 2.5 adds, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. 
God being spirit and working through us spiritually, these things are done by prayer and by faith and by long suffering and all the elements of love. They aren't done through physical means. So even though our warfare is not fleshly, but is approached by and through spiritual means, the principle of first tearing down and pull, tearing, pulling down strongholds and imaginations of men before bringing all things into obedience to Christ is manifest in those passages. And this is what we're gonna talk about tonight, but before we launch into that, let's have a word of prayer. Father, we seek you in Jesus' name. Uh, send your spirit to confirm truth to our hearts and to discard things that are not beneficial to us in our walk. We pray that people's eyes will open who are seeking to know you because to know you is life eternal, Lord, and we want that. We pray for our volunteers and our staff and for those who will be watching tonight streaming, our live audience, or those who watch through uh, YouTube or the archives, Lord bless us now in Jesus' name, amen. So I wanna issue a word of warning tonight. And, and um, I'm of the opinion that God can and does and he will continue to use everything that men try to do to bring about his sovereign will, this, this ministry included. And of course, some things are better than others, but even in the case of Mormonism, while it's rare that Mormon doctrine brings people to freedom and truth in Christ, I, you don't see it often, it does happen. I've met people who came to know the Lord through Mormonism, ultimately leaving it, but it was through Mormonism that happened. I also personally know people who Joel Osteen, has methods have helped bring them out uh, of this world and into a relationship with the Lord. So while I fundamentally disagree with Osteen and Mormonism and, and Catholicism and Calvinist doctrines, I am well aware that God can and will reach past what men have done and touch people for his purposes in spite of them. I say this because I wanna tell anyone within the sound of my voice that if you are comfortable where you are in your walk, if you're happy in your church and everything that it demands or represents, listen, and if you don't believe God wants you to have your world rocked by truth, turn the channel, go do something else. Go have a Bible study with your friends and pastor, follow the Lord and may God bless you. Uh, I'm not here to undermine what is God good in your life but I am um, especially not trying to undermine anything that God is doing in your life to bring you around. And he uses all sorts of things. He is in charge. Your relationship with him is strictly between you and him. I will not be there when you stand before him. No one else will either. So this show, more so now than at any other time in our kind of short history, is for seekers of truth. Um, no matter who they are or where they originate from or where they presently stand religiously. Uh, you could be a Muslim, you could be a Mormon, you could be anything. If you're a seeker of truth, we invite you to tune in and consider what we have to say. It's for those who want the truth at all costs and are willing to constantly have their stable Christian lives uprooted and cast down and then built back up by him through his Holy Spirit. Now I say this for a few reasons. First of all, 
people who have left Mormonism for Christianity or other faiths, for a, a personal walk with Christ, are almost always to some extent or another truth seekers. Anybody within the sound of my voice who has left Mormonism or other religious institutions and have come to know Christ in a personal direct relationship that does not include men or church, you are truth seekers and you have been to some extent and you've been willing to lose a lot in the process. Such a price is typically too much for the traditional Latter-day Saint and that is why they stay. In other words, family, job, marriage, children, social standing take precedence over possessing the truth and so they turn away from that light and the information that's provided them. And we all do this, not just the LDS. All of us make a decision and say, no, I'm not going to pursue that. I want the stability of where I'm at. I like, I know, I know. And we say we know, and so we step back into that corner of knowledge and we never budge. There's a story in the New Testament that reflects this very premise. A rich young ruler had far too many possessions when the Lord gave him a directive and said, go sell all you have and follow me. And the scripture says he had too much to do it. He wouldn't do it. Now, having said this, there are also people who have left Mormonism and other seekers who've left Catholicism and other things that have walked from their former faith and into a church that they're now comfortable with. And they choose to become extremely devout to this new church, okay? And in other words, they stopped being truth seekers. They, became, they were a truth seeker when they were in Mormonism and they discovered what it was about and they came out and they, they latched on to another new faith, but they ardently cling to that and they have ceased to be truth seekers. Now, I don't judge them. I liken them to people who have gone through a divorce and then remarry. Due to the pain and difficulty of their first marriage and the divorce that they went through, which they view as a personal failure, they will go to great lengths to make the second marriage work because they don't want to be seen as the one who is at fault. And so it proves that there's nothing wrong with them if the second marriage works, it was something wrong with the first spouse. But if they're married once and then they get married again and that doesn't work, then it starts to look like, wow, there's something wrong with you, and they hate that. So people who leave Mormonism, and they're truth seekers, and they get out, and then they come into a new relationship with Christ through a church or not, and if they glom onto a new church, sometimes that spirit of, I don't wanna, I don't wanna do, go through the same thing I went through before, takes over. And it can be the case with many people who have left Mormonism. Our program and this ministry are not going to be for them either. In fact, we've watched many, many, I mean, you're talking people who weekly would gush over the merits of our ministry, and they would support us financially, and they were so for us as long as we were against Mormonism. But when we started challenging things within the Christian faith, those people who left Mormonism into the Christian faith, they just ran from us as quickly as possible because it upset them. It was a possibility for another divorce and they did not want to face that, that burden. So instead, we are catering to people who relentlessly seek truth and light and all that God has for them in spite of the cost, okay? 
We are not talking about extra biblical truths here. I reiterate that. We are talking about stuff that is plain in the Bible, but rarely accepted. And we're talking about a completely subjective approach to knowing and understanding God with personal freedom in Christ being the highest priority. So what that does is it places your religion, your Christianity, squarely in your lap. You, don't, you won't have the ability to say, well, I'm following that man. No. It's up to you to what you believe, you to what you profess, you on what you will follow, and you when you stand before God. That's subjective Christianity. And so that's what we're trying to, to do. But the main reason for this warning is that I've had some conversations with some very, very open-minded people who have come out of Mormonism, who have gotten into another church and then said, no, there's something wrong here and have continued to pursue. And in our discussions and the things that have come out on the show, they have come and they've said, I've lost hope. Or they've said, I wish I could go back to everything as it was before, but I can't. And comments like this plague me. I mean, they are the ones that literally keep me from falling asleep at night. It's not because um, I've shared incorrect concepts in my mind, but it's because I'm a natural encourager and I want people to love their relationship with the Lord. And I feel very troubled when I've unmoored somebody who says I've lost hope. And so, it's not, it's not serving the, the, the purpose by that happening. I sometimes wonder if I ought to continue to follow Luther, who said, peace if possible, but truth at all costs. Or if we ought to just kind of ignore the truth and focus on keeping people feeling good. And in my opinion, comfortably numb. So sleep or not, I'm driven to choose Luther's way. So there's the warning. If you like where you are, and you don't want to change, and I do not judge you for that, maybe God has led you to that, and you think God wants you to remain where you're at, turn the damn channel, and stop watching the show, and leave this ministry behind, because we're not going to be about that. But if you're willing to test all things, and to hold fast to what is good, to allow much of what you have believed as a Christian to be uprooted, pulled down, and destroyed before being built back up through a contextual and reasonable view of the Bible, you've come to the right place, and I'll do my best to try to deliver. So let me talk and give a, 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 an illustration of the methodology that we're going to use uh, to, to do this deconstruction. And let me just begin by suggesting that all of the attempts at Christianity from Constantine after the apostolic church, all the way through till right now today, all of those attempts, all the traditions, all the revolutions, all the reformations, all the restorations, uh, uh, i.e. Joseph Smith and Alexander Campbell and those like him, Church of Christ, let's just pretend that's one beautiful, big, ornate church. All of that is represented by this beautiful, ornate, unbelievable physical church. Imagine that in your mind. See it as you will. This singular building represents all the worst and all the very best that has happened in Christianity since Constantine till today. The problem is that the majority of people, in my opinion, who go in and out of this church on Sunday or Saturday or whatever, continue to walk out sick. 
And what I mean by this is their biblical perspective is diseased. Now, I know you're thinking, who the heck do you think you are? I'm just telling you how I see it. And I am as wrong as any other guy or as right as any other guy. But I'm just telling you, I think we have walked out diseased. Now, there's been all sorts of theories on how to fix this building. And let's liken that to people going in and painting the interior. All right? And that will fix people walking out sick. So, you know, we've had something called the emergent church as of late. And we've had pietism from the Lutheran church. And we've had 24-7 prayer movements that were popular back in the day. We've had charismatic and hyper-charismatic movements, neo-Pentecostalism. There's been the latter rain movement. Those of you who have come out of Mormonism probably aren't familiar with these things. There's been Christian ecumenism. Uh, family values focus, Christian Torah submission and Zionism, restorationism. Uh, of course, there's evangelicalism and it's far right-wing conservative fads. There's a focus on creationism. There's focuses on the family. There's free grace movements that are popular and growing now, even hyper-grace movements that are taking over and painting the walls. We've had the holiness movement, the house church movement, small group movement, neo-orthodoxy, new thought, prosperity, postmodernism, Christian anarchy, Christian communalism, kingdom now, and dominionist movements, the Christian right, the Christian left, Christian green, Christian socialism. There's even been a code of paint called Christian atheism. <gasps> I mean, we've had the social gospel, we've had millennialism, and we've had a truckload of eschatological views to, that shade every hue of the color of the walls of that great building. But in the end, none of this stuff has cogently, in my opinion, and sufficiently made a dent at healing the diseased views of the people that walk out of that mega giant church every single week over the course of Christian history. It has only served to whitewash over the problems and create such confusion and division that people ultimately just say, I'm gonna go back to the simplicity of Christ, which is a good thing, and I'm just gonna believe and try to do my best in love. And that's what, you know, that happens. And maybe that's God's plan. What would we do to a literal building before we tried to make reparations? We would, of course, to remove vermin and infestation and dry rot and black mold and termites and leprosy, would we just paint over it? We wouldn't. We would deconstruct it first. And we would say these things need to be pulled out and replaced with something different. Now, uh, do not think for a second that I am suggesting a new denomination to the 33,000. I am not suggesting a new church to go and fit in with the giant model. I'm suggesting just some models and some ideas that all the denominations ought to consider to help remove all the stuff so that another view can take place because of what I believe the ultimate de demise of the physical institution uh, will occur. So the, <coughs> the first issue that needs to be fixed is to provide a revised view of the Bible as a whole and how believers relate to it. Let me repeat that well, along with the graphic provide a revised view of the Bible as a whole and how believers are to relate to it. I do not mean the individual lines and tenets and doctrines and words, no. I just mean how we view that, 
all right? We touched on this last week and intimated strongly that the Bible ought to be understood subjectively and spiritually, not objectively and physically any longer. Until this happens, the 33,000 Christian denoms will only grow and continue to fight with each other. Secondly, I would suggest that we have been operating on a partial and therefore a faulty definition of what it means to be a Christian. If you talk to the Jesus movement, they'll say, I'm saved, born again Christian. It's all about being born again. You're saved, you're saved. Some say, I've been forgiven. Christians aren't perfect, they're just forgiven. Some say that they are, need to behave like Jesus to be a Christian. And so I think a revised definition of Christianity needs to be understood, and I'm not sure that it, that it is. In my opinion, and this is very faulty, I'm sure, Christians are saved by grace through faith to love by suffering as Christ. Christians are saved by grace through faith to love by suffering as Christ. I think it's the, the most contextual definition. If someone has a better one, bring it. Let's, let's look at it. I'm sure there could be. But I mean, it's not just Christians are saved and not just by grace and not just through faith and not just to love and not just to suffer. It has to bring in the whole model. Third, and this is gonna be a tough one, I would suggest that we have to allow for an unhealthy view of the purpose of the church to stop existing in our lives. Remove what we have allowed the church to become. So to remove what we have allowed the church to become means that, we, that the people have to say no more. The people have to say, we don't think that this is the way. We don't need bigger buildings. We don't need more band members. We don't need more seats. We don't need tithes. We don't need to have a, a super big budget. We just need to get together and read the word and go home and, and make friends, especially if it's a sub subjective relationship. We don't need the programs. If the people wanna create a program, they can. The church doesn't need to construct all this stuff. So it's gonna take, a, remove what we have allowed, and we have allowed it because we've been lazy, the church to become. <coughs> Fourth, I would suggest that Christians have a misguided, even a diseased view of God's sovereignty and his ultimate will and purposes. And we're gonna talk about that in about two months. And finally, we need to understand by and through the Bible that Jesus has returned physically, that he came back in 70 AD, and that all of the church's emphasis is since have been nothing but misappropriated angst and attention on getting used by people to keep their congregates on high alert. The high alert method, keep you ready, talking about his imminent coming. Been doing it for 2,000 years. I'm not, I, I, you look at, I, I glommed onto that being taught by Chuck Smith. I believed in the, in the imminent rapture, physical rapture of the entire church from this earth before the tribulation. I believed in all those things fully, completely, until I started studying. And once I started studying, my eyes opened to some things from a pastor back in North Carolina who said, I taught the same thing forever and ever and ever until I started studying. And what did we study? The Bible. And when we go back next week and we start to dissect what Jesus said and what his apostles have said about his return, there will be no question in your mind about when he returned. Now, don't let this equate to hopelessness in your mind. We all are raptured still. When you die, you're raptured, you're taken up. We all have a second coming. When we meet Christ, it's our second coming. It's a spiritual sense. 
physically fulfilled by Christ in his church in 70 AD, spiritually uh, met ever since by believers who die. There's a judgment then, just like there was a judgment on Jerusalem. All the same uh, principles are there spiritually. But we have made a mistake to continually for 2,000 years teach it's happening in any moment. And I know right now we have signs going on in Israel. We've had signs going on in Israel too. And I could be wrong on whether he will return a third time. I don't know that. But what I can say without question is he returned in 70 AD. So, bold as this will sound, it's my humble opinion that if we could just agree to deconstruct, to pull down, root, uproot, and destroy these illegitimate notions and then rebuild them spiritually, the body of Christ will be blessed beyond measure and will be fortified against the destruction of the church system in the decades to come, which I believe are inevitable. Okay, we're gonna go to Connie in Richland, Washington, and, uh, and then we're gonna hit some emails. Connie, you are on Heart of the Matter. Oh, you need to turn your computer off, Connie. Connie. Kanye. Connie. Yeah. You need to turn your computer off. What? You need to turn your computer off, Connie. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. Hey, so what's up? You're on the air. Oh, uh, yeah, I want to congratulate you. I love your revelation on the Godhead and baptism. I believe that for 30 years now. I'm glad I was able to join you. Yeah, I, uh, I was baptized out there in the Columbia River. No kidding. Yeah, along with a bunch of other brethren. But I wanted to tell you, remember when uh, the Sadducees were talking to Jesus and then he asked them a question about uh, uh, Christ, whose son was he? Yeah. And they answered, the son of David? Yeah. And then he asked them, uh, well, then how come David in the psalm called him Lord when he's his son? Yeah. And the answer to that is in the book of Revelations where he uh, says that uh, he's the root and the offspring of David. Makes sense. Yeah, I, I believe so, too. And, oh, um, do you know how the Vatican got its name? Uh, no. Well... <laughs> You won't believe this, but the early Christians named it that, Villa of Cain, Vatican. They knew who lived there. Wow, I've never heard of that before. Is anyone else yeah, familiar uh, with that? that that's, that's, uh, Villa that's what of I've been Cain. told, and I believe it, too. Well, that's well, really I wild. Wanna, I, I, I hope <laughs> this, this ministry keeps on, and uh, I've, I've agreed wholly with you on the, uh, on the baptism in Jesus' name, because... Have you ever noticed that that straight is the gate and narrow is the way? That straight is uh, spelled like waterway. Yeah. Yeah, it's S-T-R-A-I-T. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's unique. Yeah. Thanks for watching, Connie. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, the Vatican, I've never heard. Um, I'm glad that they weren't called it the new cane, because then it would have been Novocaine. <laughs> okay. Uh, while the operators are clearing your calls at 801-590-8413, I think I just got it. Uh, let us do some emails from Eddie. Really troubling. <laughs> hey, guys, thank you for the videos. After suffering from the amount of time I have in Norman Church, I finally figured out there's no God. Um, 
You know, it's really something when someone says there's no God, what they're saying is I have checked under every rock, under every premise, under every planet, behind every star, every cloud, every raindrop, and I have seen there is no God. It's one thing to say I know God is there. You don't have to check under every place to see if he's there or not, to know he's there. But to say he's not there, you have to, you have to negate every possible possibility. So it's really uh, utter um, pride to say there is no God. You know, and, uh, and, and, and Eddie, I, there's many people who go through what you're going through. He says, and that God is just a superstition. Thank you. I really feel good about these. And others for setting me free. I would recommend you read the book of God Delusion. I've read it. It's funny, and I always, use, I always used to capitalize God's name, but now it's not real, so I don't have to do that. Thanks again. I hope you die peacefully, unlike Thomas Monson and Jesus, who never even existed. Um, worthless in my eyes now, he says. Have a great life and don't ever stop posting your videos. The more atheists we make, the better. God don't exist. So, you know, it's really troubling. I hope and pray Eddie, while in this life, comes to know God through Jesus Christ. And often when people leave uh, religious institutions of every kind, they fall to, um, to atheism, especially in Mormonism, because it's so totalistic. And so we hope that you'll keep watching and... Um, and just let me reiterate, the reason a person leaves Mormonism is as important as the fact that they leave Mormonism at all. And we can't lose track of that. We just don't want people to leave Mormonism because of all the facts. We want them to leave into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If that can't be the case, I see no reason for them to remain uh, Mormon. Now, I know people will get mad at that. Uh, but I really believe that we do a lot of damage when we just yank people out and throw them to the curb. I think they need the Lord Jesus uh, before they exit. Uh, okay, this is from Kenny. He says, uh, during the time I was uh, renouncing Mormonism, I unfortunately renounced God as well. And anything, uh, and so he says he goes on and he met a woman and he married her in the LDS temple. So he became a anti-Mormon. He became an atheist. He met a woman. He got remarried in the Mormon temple. And he said, uh, now everything has come back and my eyes are opened even more in my weekly attendance. I recently approached my wife about my concerns. She loves the idea of being Mormon, but personally has issues with tithing, word of wisdom, treatment of homosexuals. Uh, but she's reluctant to leave after all the work we've put in to join again. I myself am miserable. Um, I... Uh, I, he's just a miserable person. He goes on and talks about it. You know, to leave, uh, Ken uh, was intelligent. Um, to return was human. We all sometimes wonder if, you know, that the church didn't offer more and we just overlook things. But uh, I would suggest to you, my brother, to read the Bible, open up to the Gospel of John, ask the Lord to open your eyes, give you ears to hear, a heart to feel, and just start reading John and just see what he shows you. And then while you're in, your, he has a primary job in primary, just read the Bible. Just keep reading the Bible. You don't have to fight what you're doing there. You just have to let the Lord lead you out. That would be my um, advice. From Kim C., my 72-year-old lifetime tithe pain, even before paying the power bill or buying shoes for the kids, temple-going, garment-wearing father has fallen quite ill. To complicate things, he moved 250 miles away. My siblings and I can only make a trip once a week. We contacted his bishop to ask for help, yard care, home cleaning meals, 
and and um, the Corporation of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints cannot help due to potential liability issues. The church corporation just put the issue of legal exposure before the health and welfare of my father. I offered to indemnify them. That means to release them a hold harmless agreement. Nope. So it's thanks for your life, thanks for your 10%, now literally blank off and die, he quotes. I have kept my name on the rolls just to keep, uh, please my parents and extended family uh, no longer. You know, it's really impossible, Kim, for a truly institution, uh, for institution to institutionalize love. And uh, I do not believe love is threatened by liability issues. Real love, you do whatever you can, and when liability issues come up, people who are acting out of love, they trust God and they move, but institutions can't do that. And so I feel bad for you and your dad, and that's why it's up to individual Christians to step forward and try to help in things like that. Institutions will almost always fail you. Uh, this is from Andy J. I live in Raleigh, North Carolina area. Mormons are moving all around me and converting my Christian neighbors. They invite neighbors over to barbecues, and then slowly I see my neighbors stop hanging around with old friends. What do you do? Uh, I would suggest that you hold some barbecues of your own. Uh, look, the J-dubs, Muslims, Mormons, they live their faith. They do. And so they live it and they're out to keep it alive and growing and thriving. We can learn from them. Uh, we best to compete by the lives that we have. And you know, maybe start throwing your own barbecues. Maybe we ought to get a little more social with each other as the spirit leads and rather being so, you know, reserved. You know, these guys are knocking on doors on Saturdays every time I turn around. These Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons and their missionaries out and the people are always really friendly. You know, maybe we can learn something about proselytizing the gospel of Jesus Christ from these groups. And from Charles K in London, he says, uh, you are swimming strong against strongly held views that some will never let go. Keep up the good work. Just want to let you know that we in London uh, relate to much of what you say. Can see change taking place. Thanks for the response. And uh, listen, we want to thank you for watching Char uh, Charles K out there in London. You keep up the good work. Uh, we have a guy who watched. Dellen's Mormon Stories interview with me, and uh, just to let you know, John Dillon was excommunicated by the Mormon Church, from what I've been told, and so I haven't talked to him since uh, that happened, but uh, he says the Mormon Stories, uh, this writer, Rodney, says the Mormon Stories interview helped him greatly and helped him to look past things. He will test our faith, and through the testing, it's fired, and it's hardened, and it's proven stronger, but the faith is present and it's possessed by reason and data and history. It's possessed by evidence. So while our faith in the evidence that we've seen may be tested, that faith is there because of the evidence and data in history. If faith could be considered greater and stronger, if it's based on less and less evidence, then we didn't need Jesus at all. We didn't need anything at all to prove God. All we needed was some voice to speak into a book and just the book to fall out of the sky, I guess, and land somewhere and someone finds it and it says, this is God, believe me. You know, do well, don't sin. That's all it says. I mean, that would prove the greatest faith, wouldn't it? No evidence at all. 
But that is not how God has worked. I mean, we look around, we can see evidences all around us to support the faith that he wants us to have in his gospel, in his son, in uh, resurrection, in nature, in cosmos, in the law, in the Bible, in the spirit, in our conscience, and all of these different things. So I don't think that's a very good argument. And I would just, I would take it to the extreme talking with the LDS. Well, if a little bit of evidence shows good faith, why have any evidence at all that would show the best? All right. Uh, I'm a 19-year-old man. This is from Bryce, who attends another university, but my parents have asked me go to have the BYU experience. I've recently been questioning the church, and uh, after watching your show, I felt reassured in my falling away and how I was raised. I just want to thank you and ask you, how can I learn more about Christian denominations out there <coughs> and how I might learn more from you? The best tutor in the world, Bryce, is the Bible read without any uh, religious slant. So start, like I just said to somebody else with John, read it, pray that you will be given eyes to see and ears to hear. That's the best you can do. Uh, people have asked, how do you know that you're seeing truth and do you feel it? You know, do you have that burning in the bosom? Do you have a testimony? How do you know? And the best way that I can describe it, and I've done this before, is to say it's like new vision. Uh, it's, it's a sense, but you certainly don't feel new vision you're opened up to things and you see them in a completely different way. And when the new vision comes upon you, to me, that is the best way to determine whether God is involved by his Holy Spirit or not. So when your eyes are opened and people have described it as the scales falling off. And so what happens is you open up the Bible and uh, Bryce and you begin to read and suddenly you're seeing things you never saw before. And you start to understand with a different heart and your views are not prejudiced by the former religion. Sometimes they'll pop up, but pretty much you start to see and understand differently. That's what you want to look for. And if you're looking to understand by the Spirit, it's new vision, in my opinion, is the best way to explain it. Dustin says, I have a daughter. My girlfriend's daughter is really romantically involved with the Mormon church. I guess that someone in her family is LDS and she really looks up to them. And this daughter is starting to move toward the faith. Uh, do you have any advice uh, on how to handle this? What I would do is take that daughter to lunch or to dinner, a nice whatever, sit down, say, I'm doing this, because I, and just frankly speak, I'm doing this because I want you to understand what Mormonism is about. And I wouldn't be over the top with attacks. I'd say Mormonism is a good church. Mormonism is this, Mormonism is that. But here are the things about it most people don't understand. And I would let her know directly and that you're telling her she can choose herself, but give her some facts to chew on. Give her a, a website, utlm.org or some of the other ones. There's a Mormon curtain that is really full of information out there too. And then there's Bill McKeever and there's IRR and there's Concerned Christians and there's all kinds of them. Go, give her some of those and say, look these things up that I just told you. And, and, don't, uh, and, and let her know right off the bat what you're doing. Don't take her, hey, let's go to dinner, and then just slowly kind of ease in. Kids are really good at seeing cons, so just do that, and it will help. Uh, this is from Doran. He says, change is a good thing, exclamation point. It means you're alive and thinking and wanting to be better and actually doing something about it, I guess in reference to the changes that we've made in the show over the years. I've watched many of your shows and have followed some of the changes. You and your wife 
and I stood out in a parking lot one winter afternoon talking about the Trinity. I told you I didn't get it. I'm sure you thought I would. I never could figure it out. Time moves on and so do people. You said something on last Thursday's show about not showing love to the LDS. Maybe that's true in some of your shows, but I can tell you that I felt love from you, your wife, and Bishop Earl as you prayed with me. I don't remember the meeting with uh, Doran, but I guess uh, Bishop Earl and Mary and I met with this man, and he felt love from us. I once struggled with the idea of Adam God. I researched and researched. It was hard on me. Then I woke to sleep one morning, and a deep sense of peace settled over me, and I said, what's important? What is important is your love for your neighbor. And so uh, Doran says from the Pacific Northwest, thanks for everything. Keep letting the word out on these important things. And then with five minutes left, no calls. Um, the name is cut off from this email. It says, after nearly 50 years of being lied to, I really wish to get back to biblical truths. It's a shame some Christians like us Mormons become so infatuated and conditioned with religion as to not being prepared to look outside of the box to see if some errors have occurred or truths might be missing. I applaud your ministry for doing so. I've just finished a book called Biblical Church, A Challenge to Unscriptural Traditions and Practice by Brerisford Job. It has certainly opened my eyes to the early church forefathers and how things have evolved somewhat. By the way, so has your show recently. Well, thanks again for helping rescue us from decades of lies and deceit. Uh, and he puts a quote in from this book that he likes. It says, quote, to discover from scripture that you are wrong about something is not hypocrisy. To realize that something you are believing or doing is wrong and then doing nothing about it is hypocrisy. So uh, he says something that Israel was chastised for. I'm sorry I don't have the name to that. You may be watching tonight. Thank you for that great insight. I'm gonna check that book out myself and see if I can pull anything from it. And then from someone who I love his heart, he says, you know, I really don't like titles and the title Trinity has always bugged me. So I believe that uh, there is one God and I believe that Father in heaven is God, Jesus is God and the Holy Spirit is God. How about use an acronym, F-J-H-S-R-1-G. <laughs> oh, oh, I love stuff like that. Yes, I worship the F. F-J-H-S-R-1-G figure. And he means it in all goodness of his heart. And you gotta love him for that. So uh, listen, we're gonna come back next week and we're gonna pick it up and we're gonna start with Jesus' words in Matthew 23 and 24. And we're gonna walk through exactly what he says in those very apparently difficult uh, passages of scripture, but they're really not. And we're gonna to come to some passages that are, you cannot get away from. And what we will be left with when we get into it, starting next week is, Jesus was either wrong or Jesus was right. It's gonna come down to that. Now, we'll take all the ways men have described him being misunderstood, not so. He knew exactly what he was saying, he said it, I trust the Bible and I trust what he said. Then we'll go on and we're gonna look at what the apostles said. And we're gonna to have to say to ourselves, either the apostles were wrong and they believed Jesus was returning shortly uh, and, and or uh, they were right. Most people have to say they were wrong. They just believed when he said, I'm gonna return 
it's going to be shortly, but they were wrong. If we can't trust the apostles in what they wrote, how can we trust the Bible at all? So I trust what they said. I trust the words they said in all of the epistles, and we're going to bring those out and show you, and how all of them repeatedly encourage all the believers of the apostolic, apostolic church to hang on. He's coming. He's about here. It's shortly going to happen. Hang on. So join us next week here on Heart of the Matter as we get into that. See you then. I'm on a ride Going nowhere I am an existential cowboy On the wind And I won't be This man's awake, a storm's arising, the dawn's awaiting till a hundred monkeys know. And I can feel the light-filled monkeys start.